Yeah, man. So thanks for joining me here on the Prison to Promise podcast, man. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to check out any of the amazing guests that have preceded you um, on the Prison to Promise podcast. But one of the things that everyone on this podcast has in common is um, they have a um, experience with prisons and jails. Many of us have been incarcerated. Many of us have gotten out of prison or jail and have gone on to do good things with our lives and impact our communities and our families. And so I've invited you to come on this show to share your experience of post-incarceration success uh, for the listeners of uh, the Prison of Promise podcast with the host of this inspiring somebody who's listening to your story to maybe identify with your story after getting out of prison or maybe while still in prison and saying, well, yo, his story sounds, you know, maybe a little similar to mine. And yo, yo, he did it. So maybe I could put something together like he did and I could do it too. So we're trying to inspire people out there, you know, where, where other people have forgotten. And so if you win it, um, I'd like to uh, invite you to introduce yourself to our leaders. And uh, I mean, our leaders. Well, yeah, they are leaders, but uh, they are listeners as well. Um, I'd like to invite you to invite, uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, maybe tell them a little bit about who you are and uh, where you're from. Um, my name is Antoine Carter, born in Boston, Mass. I did 15 years and nine months for murder. I recently got out January 17th, um, 2023. As of now, I've been out almost 11 months. So as soon as I came home, I just, you know, hit the ground running. You know, I had all that time to sit in prison and kind of figure out what I want to do with myself and just kind of just realize, like, you know, the error in my ways and the false beliefs that was leading me to a place to where I was at. And if I wanted to transcend and move forward and not look back and forgetting those things that which are behind me and moving forward, I had to, you know, change my way of thinking. So I just started to put together a vision board, things I wanted to do, found out, you know, my gifts and, and, and my abilities to do certain things. And I just started formulating the plan. But it started in prison first. It didn't start when I got out, you know, change start within. And it, and it starts, you know, from the day you realize, like, all right, I want to change and I want better things for myself. So that's the process it starts. Then that's the inception. And you just work towards it. So while I was in jail, I just started becoming an avid reader and I always was inquisitive and asking questions. And then just, you know, God, you know, allow certain things to happen and certain people for me to meet and just ideas that come into my head. And I just went on like a writing campaign, a reading, reading campaign. I started reaching out to different people. Um, you know, one of my things is writing. Yeah. I started writing like professors, just looking for like mentorship and just, you know, I was on the process of writing my first book. When I got found guilty, I told myself, like I made a promise, like I'm going to write a book. And, you know, I just started getting into poetry. Like, and um, I was dealing with a female at the time and she liked the poetry. And I, I had happened to meet a fellow prisoner who had a book that um was was by Tupac. It was called Inside the Thug's Heart. And that's just my favorite rapper. So I was just reading his poems while he was in jail. He was in Rikers and he was writing a female and he was writing in a poetic style. And it was just like him performing magic as I was reading. I'm like, damn, I want to do that too. And I just started to write and write. And then um, the girl I was dealing with, she started sending me books. And um, the CEO at the time, he's like, he seen what I was trying to do. He overheard a conversation I was having with one of my peers. And he was like, oh, a book you should get is um, my mm. Angelou's book. So it's like her poems. So I just got her anthology, all her poems. And I started getting different poets. And then she sent me a book 
by um John Drury talk called Creating Poetry. And it just mm -hmm. teaches the format of how to write poetry and how to like look at other writers that you look up to and, and model yourself after them, but at the same time keep your own voice so you don't become like a carbon copy of them. And that kind of book just transformed and took me to the next level. Yeah. And then yeah. Yeah, I just started like, all right, I'm I'm, I'm gonna write a book. And I started going on a journey writing my book. And it took me like four years to 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 get it to where I wanted to go because I was kind of just still formulating. I could have already had it done. I was in a hole for like 90 days when I first got convicted. And um I was writing it. It was just like a collection of poems. And it was just like I was writing poems like two, three, three, three times a day. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I just put it together. But it wasn't done though. Like if I would have rushed and like let me get it out now, it would have been a horrible job. So I just, you know, was, you know, sharing myself and my mm -hmm. ideas present as and it just kind of just you know birthed itself and it just started refining the process and it just got better through time yeah yeah so yeah i published it that's heavy and yeah i know that you are an author and i know you have like three books and so a little later in our discussion i definitely want to come back to your books yeah. you know but can you talk a little bit about who you were man like prior to you making that transition to oh. hungry for knowledge and like learning and reading and like getting on a different track than that track that resulted in you being being in prison for all for twenty years. First, I always been inquisitive. I always hung around people that was older than me and I always listened. Like even yeah. though like, you know I was you know like in the streets, right? You know, looking for you know a male role model figure, somebody that you could look up to and kind of emulate, and all those people that you know i looked up to and emulated was in the streets right so you know yeah. you're being you know taught the wrong beliefs like the things that believe in it and, and and that only leads you you know to two places either jail or death so mm -hmm. it took for me you know have my life taken away from me to yeah. change and you know challenge those things that i thought was true you know because you know the people you're running with the people you're risking life for yeah. on the line on the field with when, when you locked up they ain't there yeah, where they at? Right. They got money. They got money to buy on some weed, but they ain't got no money to send for you or put it on the phone so you can talk to them or send you twenty dollars so you can get the bar soaps and toothpaste and the things you need. Well, so Fox, Fox said, "I try to find my friends, but they blowing in the wind." Facts. So you know you find that out in prison. So even yeah. your family, like, so you know you realize who's really there for you and the value of people. So that was just like a culture shock for me. Like when I went in, I went in at eighteen, so I went as a kid. So you know when you're that young, you're impressionable, right? Your yeah. mind's still trying to figure out its place in the world. So just to have that, that transformation, yeah. So you know to just have that tran that, that 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 transformation in your mind, like damn, like this everything you're used to just changing, having to grow in prison and just being exposed to different things, like. People being in prison for 30, 40 years, like that ain't never going home. I can't get on the phone to make a phone call, get a letter. Like mm -hmm. it's showing you value. Like, you know, just like how your life becomes reduced to phone calls and 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 waiting on mail. Like that's everything, right? Mm -hmm. Just knowing somebody cares about you or thinking about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. I, I heard a guy say he he uh, well, I read it. One of those rappers he had did some time in prison. I think it was like Bobby Smurder or somebody I read. And he was like, yo, it's so uh, ancient in prison. You know, they still got, like, tape recorders and stuff in there. It's like, I ain't yeah, never seen it. Changed, yeah. It changed now. Like, you got and tablets and stuff tablets. like that. Yeah. yeah, you got tablets. Yeah. You, uh, so you get emails. You can get, like, pictures on your tablet. It's different. Podcasts. It's, it's different, but at the same time, like, you know, they use that as a pacifier to keep you asleep and to realize the bigger picture. Like, you know, how, how, how you know what I'm saying? So people buy music and 
all of these things, but you know, it's just a pacifier. It's not going to stop or, or or change their behavior or have them really think about why, you know, why am I here and what do I need to do to stop myself from coming back to jail? So a lot of that's, people, you know, that's what, that's what I got you here having this conversation with me because we pipe these podcasts into the prison, you know, they, they get like batches of them, they buy them from me and they put them in the prison. And they play. Yeah, so most people in prison, when I was saying this about peers, you know, ain't nothing wrong with listening to music and, you know, kind of just like freeing your mind and escaping. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's got to be a balance. Like, you know, when you overindulging in that and then, you know, you got people smoking K2, getting high, sobos, drugs, homebrew. Like, yeah. you know, everything in moderation, man, these dudes is overdoing because they're trying to escape their reality. It's so hard and the pressure is just coming from so from from everywhere and they just like damn how do I cope with this harsh reality like I can't I can't get my girl on the phone she probably out there having sex with somebody and you're trying to control your girl through a phone call in reality yeah. you can't you know um so it's a, a lot of things yeah. you deal with the COs and then they telling you what to do and then you know they they doing things that you know um are disrespectful like if you was on the streets and they did that to you it'd have been a different story you would have cracked their head open right so a lot of times People, you know, allow certain things to happen while they're in jail, but won't let it allow to happen in in, in, a, in a real world. So those type of things is like, damn, you're one way in jail, but one way in a, in, in a real world. It's like, you know, just like, Absolutely. hey, you know, like if you're going to be one way, you got to be that way all the way around. And then I mean, you got the, that, that stand on that. That's like, I'm the same way as I was in jail on the streets. Yeah. Then go home because it's like you're always going to get your disrespected by staff. So it's like learning to pick and choose your battles wisely. And um, because you know you do something one of them, you get time. You can on and after. You ain't never gonna go home, and then they're gonna be messing with you, doing stuff to your food, and jumping you all tight. So it's just a, it's like you're fighting a three headed monster that only grows and gets bigger every time you feed it, every time you react. Mm -hmm. So they come to work, just looking for rap. Like, yeah, we're gonna mess with this dude today because we know we could push his buttons. So it's a psychological war. So you got to so learn how, how to you, use. So, me, so so how how did you how did you navigate? And like, how did you, because a lot of young cats I, I've met, and I was a young cat when I went in. I did eight joints. I've been out for like 25 joints, um, almost 26. This is going to be 26 years, I think. But when I went in, it was a lot of young cats and a lot of guys I talked to who are older now. They talk about when they were younger, they were wild, but sometimes they changed. Um, and then they learned to navigate. At what point did you learn to begin navigating um, for survival and growth while you were in prison. Oh, man. So I think like my first nine years, I did it in the max. I was always into some fist fights, getting into it with the COs. Um, you know, I was just like, for me, I'm like, if I got to live here and I got to die in here, like they're going to have to deal with me. We're going to have to coexist. Like y'all got y'all rules and I got my rules. I got certain things I'm not going to bend on. Like, you know, I like women. So, you know, I used to flirt with the staff and all of that, you know, just just being yeah. like, you know, it's like, you know, like, man, I, I came in as a youth. They stole my youth. So it's like, I got to live. I'm not going to conform 100% and just be a number. It'd be like a sheep just waiting for my number to be called, to be slaughtered. So, you know, I always had that, like, that kind of rebellious streak within myself. So that led to a lot of conflict. Huh? I, well, you said conflict. I said consequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I went to the hole several times. I did over, what, like five years in the hole, off and on. I did two years straight in the hole. But mm -hmm. it was through that process I always knew. Like, you know, I used to have conversations with, you know, like peers and they're like, damn, like your life's like fucked up. Like you always in a hole. You ain't even make it to lower security yet, man. Like, and I used to have those conversations within my mind as I'm sitting in solitude. Like, yeah, I got to kind of switch it up. So mm -hmm. after I had got charged for, for assault on the CO, 
Um, and they just jumped me, you know, they, they said I assaulted them. I'm just trying to protect myself. So, um, you know, they, they, you know, the person that controls the story, whoever writes the narrative controls it. Right. Uh so they wrote the D report saying I assaulted them. Um, you know, I ended up going to the hole for two years. I got charged with it. So as I'm sitting in the hole, I'm just reflecting on everything. Right. Cause now I'm sitting in a hole 23 and a one. I ain't got no mattress in my cell. You know, I ain't got no food. You know, they they tamper on my food. Just everything. So it's just like, damn. Now it's like, everything I need, I got to get it through these people. Toilet paper, they denied me. Toilet paper, acting like I'm not asking for it. I'm reaching out to my lawyer. I got them coming up, taking pictures of me. You know, just different things. Just advocating. I'm like, all right, I'm going to just sue these people. And now I just start recording everything. Yeah. You know, yeah. I date log everything, grievance, filing it. And, you know, they got a camera. So I date in time. You know, I asked the CEO. Then I'm starting to get affidavits from my neighbors. Like, yo, I need you to write an affidavit. So I did that just thinking long term rather than just fighting in the moment. Because you got some dudes that I used to be in there with, like, be in the same situation. And they'll just fight the move team. Like, I'm going to just fight the move team and, you know, get gassed and make these dudes, like, have yeah, like, you know, make them have to um respond and, and, and give me the stuff that I need. Like, I'm like, man, I'm not doing that, man. Like, I'm not going to get sprayed down and get these dudes cheap free shots and knock my teeth out of so I'm going to just do it this way. So I went about it the intellectual way. And um, and that's when the changes started. Like, I realized I had to find God, man. And once I started giving myself to God and just started building a relationship with God, he started opening doors for me, right? It didn't happen immediately. It still was a gradual process. I still was refining myself. And I had to, like, kind of change certain things about myself, like control my temper and just my tongue more so. Like, you know, even though if I know something's being done wrong, like, sometimes you don't need to always speak on it, okay. you know? So I kind of used that fuel to transmute myself, like, all right, I'm going to just focus on my goals, what I want to do, work on my case and just, you know, work on building relationships and building my relationship with God and just kind of refining myself and just become out a new creation. So when I do go back to the max after I get out the hole, the goal is to get out of there because I did nine years in there. I'm like, I got to get out of there. So yeah. that's when the change started. But it was a gradual process. Still with steps. I had to still go through certain things. and I'm still changing now. Absolutely. It's a lifelong process, I think, man. You know, I don't think we never stop. It's from the cradle to the grave, you know. And sometimes we go forward and we go backwards and then we go forward again, you know. But this is an ongoing process. It's, it's the cycle of life, you yeah. know. But but what you're telling me is a beautiful struggle, man, you know. And I'm hearing that transition and we you transition. So in 2023, you got out, you know. But being down in the hole is what you change. And what I was thinking about as you're talking about that was, like, when people find, like, fine jewels and shit, like, in the mud or whatever, you know, and yeah. they clean it off, but they can't get it clean. And so they put it in the fire. They put it in the hottest fire, and that fire burned all the bullshit off of it. Mm -hmm. You know, and then they pull it out, and they got that gem. You know, and I think that that's what kind of happens to us when we find ourselves in prison, and sometimes in jail in prison. You know, which we call the whole SHU, restrictive house, whatever they want to call it. You know what? I think sometimes it's that pressure when we buy ourselves, when we only have ourselves, that we either come to a realization or we lose ourselves. So, you know, there's a saying that I like. It's a quote. I love quotes because they're short. They get to the point, but it it, it carries a, a lot of, you know, kick to it, like as far as meaning, emphasis, right? It said a diamond is a piece of coal, right, that turns in, into a piece of diamond through the earth's pressure. So, you know, it's a coal, literally, like it's in, it's in the earth's crust and then the pressure of the earth, if it could withstand that, mm -hmm. it turns into a diamond. So okay. all that pressure I was going through in there and, and, and being in the earth because I was in the belly of the beast and all that pressure, things trying to break me, that adversity, yeah. 
it just transformed me. If I could withstand the process and and keep myself going forward and just having perseverance and being persistent, but, you know, trying to change my my way of thinking, yeah. I'm a transform. And so yeah. that's what happened. I transformed. Well, that's deep, man. And something else, man, you said um, that really grabbed me too. And you said, I'm going to start working on my relationships and my relationship with God. So you double time that word relationships. And, yeah. you know, from my perspective, I've studied, you know, like human sciences and whatnot and, and relationships and counseling and whatnot. And one of the things I know about recovery is the, the thing about doing anything really is about the relationships that we keep with individuals um, who are in, I guess, like-minded positions or going in the direction we're going. You know, when they talk about coming out of prison, they talk about having antisocial or pro-social associates, you know, those associates who can help connect us to resources versus those who take us back to crime and so on and so forth. So I'm just digging what you were talking about, relationships. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that, especially as men, we want to be, you know, dolo, you know, I got this, you know, I could do this. It's impossible to do it yourself. I used to be one of the dudes that think I could do everything myself, but you always going to need somebody to get to where you need to go. They say people like bridges, you got to cross them to get to where you need to go, right? Mm -hmm. So as I was in prison, I went in at 18. I grew up, my great-grandmother raised me. So that was like, you know, my matriarch. That was my my guardian. So that was my lifeline. She died, unfortunately, when I was in prison before I got out. So she didn't get to see me as a free man. And mm -hmm. um, rest in peace to her. But um, like, so I knew for myself, like coming from a dysfunctional family, like, you know, life wasn't going to be the same if I ever did get out. And I knew I was going to get out because I was just, you know, staying on my case. I went to trial three times. I had a relationship with God. I talked to him. He told me I was going to get out. So I was just keeping the faith, not knowing when. I didn't want to ask him when. And I'm like, God, I don't want to be getting out at 40, 50 years old. And they already took most of my youth. So I just never asked. I knew I was going to get out and I just worked on it. And just, you know, asking to go home. Like, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to, you know, build your kingdom and 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 be that light and just, you know, walk in a narrow path and just, you know, let my gift shine bright, you know, for you. And yeah. um yeah, yeah. While so, I was in there, go, go really, life was gonna be different for me, right? So it's like, damn, I'm gonna have to go to program. I have to, you know, I'm not trying to live with no fever, I'm trying to get my stuff together. Because most guys I know from just watching and asking questions and just listening, when they go home, they live with a female. Like I could have did that, I could have lived with a female and, and and not got myself together. But you know, we have a lot of resources being afforded to us that we got to take advantage of when you're coming out of prison. You got to make the government, you know, reparations and give you everything you back so you could be successful out here. You saying you want us to be successful, you don't want us to, you know, um reoffend and reduce the recidivism rate. They give me the things I need out here, the tools. So when I came home, I went to a hotel. I was in a hotel for free for two months before I actually got in the program that I am now. Now I just got, you know, housing. I'm looking for a place right now as we speak. Um, I've yeah. been contacting certain people. I got a realtor. So I'm about to have my own apartment within 11 months. So I only yeah. been home 11 months and I'm ahead of a lot of dudes that have been out here 10 years, 15 years. They living off a chick. I got my own credit. Mm -hmm. My shit's at a seven oh eight. I got my I got my passport. I'm about to go study abroad in the summer with my school, oh, um, Italy. Wow. Like I'm just doing yeah. things, just staying focused, man. You know, yeah, when you right. stay focused and you got a sense of direction, everything's gonna manifest. I got a car, like everything's just moving the way it needs to move. Why equal self? Why equal self? And as you're talking about all these wonderful things that are happening in your life, man, I, I'm hoping people who are incarcerated will hear this story and understand how this happened, because one of the things you talked about earlier is you said, man, I started with a vision board. I had a vision board. I started 
picturing in my mind what I want. And I started putting it down almost tangible, you know. And from my time in prison, I also learned, you know, you have to be able to almost see it, feel it, touch it from your prison cell, from the yard. And you got to believe that it's yours. And when you, like you said, are focused and when you have that plan, it begins to manifest. And when you have to reduce it, you could just reduce it on a small, on a negative aspect where people can relate to. Like, I used to be in prison, like, damn, I think I'm I'm going to get in a fight soon. And then I get in a fight. Like, you manifest your reality, man. The things you speak about, you call it to come to pass, you know? So it's just just flipping a switch. And, 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 and just, you know, making it on a positive aspect. Like, even like with a female, like, I know I could get that fee. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get her number. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take her out. And then it actually happened. It's the same way. Like, I'm speaking this shit into existence. Like, I'm going home. I used to tell dude, I'm about to go home. I don't know about you dudes. Y'all do sitting here, you know, complaining about why, why it sucks in here and ain't doing nothing to change your situation or the situation that you're in. But I'm getting out of here. And so you just dudes that been in there 30, 40 years and I dipped off. Like, I'm gone, bro. You know? <laughs> yeah. So how'd you get out? So how'd you get out? Um, so through the appellate process. So my lawyer, um, we we I, I went to trial three times. So I had um two hung juries, and then I got found guilty on my third trial. So my case is unique. Like nowhere within anywhere within the judicial system, the issue that I had was that the only witness that they had was convicted of perjury on the case for lying on the case. But then they said under conviction of perjury that you know when it was understanding the, the second trial that the prosecutor made them say what they said, like tell the story that me and my co-defendant killed somebody, that mm-hmm. they was never there, mm-hmm. you know? And then, you know, the, 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 the prosecutor went back up there trying to rehabilitate the witness. And then my lawyer's like, hold on, we got to get a lawyer for this. this. This case is over. They didn't want to dismiss the case or nothing like that. I ended up getting a hung jury. The jury heard the story about supposedly me and my me and my Cody going on a, a throw ride to go kill somebody, revenge, a shooting. And um, and then the, then the witness recanted after being on the stand for four days. And then still, right, they, they, they like, all right, we're going to let this person's prior testimony from the first trial when I got a hung jury coming in the jury to bring that into the deliberation room. And my lawyer's like, if you do that, he gets a free trial. You can't do that. Right, the yeah. live witness already testified. So what are you trying to do? You're basically trying to bolster the witness credibility by putting these these um, these um trial testimonies from the first trial in as if it's fucking testimony, like it's if it's facts. They already got it. You got to let them just deliberate and let them come to their own conclusion. They just watch this person testify and say that this thing happened, then recant it under the cross, redirect under under the cross examination of the, of the Commonwealth. Yeah, so what happened? So, so then the third trial, they end up putting a new prosecutor on. I got found guilty. They end up putting in things that didn't have nothing to do with the case, that I was convicted of a firearm before, um, that me and my co-defendant knew each other, that we used to get stalked on, so in the neighborhood we grew up in. So everything but the kitchen sink, it didn't have nothing to do with the case. But then we got found guilty. So we end up flipping it over prosecutorial misconduct. Um, this um, also them denying a black juror to sit on the juror. So it was a bunch of things we flipped off. But then we had uncovered evidence where we could prove the prosecutor in my case manipulated evidence to get a conviction. So that prosecutor that we had this evidence on, we put it in under a motion for new trial, but the prosecutor was now a judge now. So we went in front of the judge to get the judge to rule on it. She's like, I can't assess the credibility of a, of, of a colleague. So they was playing games and they ended up putting a juvenile um, <laughs> um, judge on it to rule on a capital punishment. Juvenile judges don't deal with capital punishment cases. They did a lot of bad acts. Yeah, they was prolonging it, bro. So we ended up like, fuck it, we just going to do our direct appeal. Did it and we flipped it. But So they didn't even make a ruling on the evidence we had. And then so when I flipped it, I go to county jail. I'm asking for a bail. I got professors 
like several professors and several people writing letters for me to have, you know, ties to the community. Like, yo, listen, we, we we're invested in this person succeeding out here and we're going to make sure he's good. He's already changed. He's already like, you know, they calling me a scholar and all this. And they got these letters, but they didn't want to let me out on bail. And I know people that got out, like overturned their case and got out on bail and it was in the, in, the, in the joint selling drugs and everything. I'm like, damn, I got all these people advocating for me. I'm showing all the work I was doing and all of that. And they, and they like, nah, so I was sitting in jail and I had to go to trial. And then right for 20 Jones. You've been gone for 20 Jones. Come on, give them yeah, a break. Yeah, they wasn't hearing it though. They wasn't hearing it. They like, man, you gotta go sit. So I went back to county jail. So I'm sitting in county jail. And I'm like, man, I'm like, you know, kind of discouraged, man. You know, like, but you know, that was another test from God. Like, you know, just allow me to do my work. And it's not, it's not your time to get out yet. Time yeah. is everything, right? So when it's meant for you to get out and your timing, like God's so ill. Like, I got a lawyer. That's right, uh, thanks. I got a lawyer for free. I got $100,000 lawyer for free. I had one of the best appellate lawyers and I had the best criminal defense attorney within Massachusetts for free, bro. That's dope. That's dope. And, you know, I ended up getting out. So, you know, they was begging me to, um, my lawyer wanted me to go to trial and stuff like that, but I didn't want to go to trial. I'm like, I could have beat it and all that, but I just knew these people were playing dirty, like the stuff that they did. And I'm just like, man, I want to just make sure I'm going home. I don't want to roll my life and put it in, you know, like, like play, like play dice again and gamble and then put my life in, in, in the juror's hands and the judge's hand. Cause when you're going to try, you're going against the DA and the judge. The judge is is working with the DA, helping them to prove their case. They're supposed to be neutral and, 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 and um, assess whether what evidence coming in, if it, you know, violates your constitutional rights. And if you get in a fair trial, but they know like it's hard to prove murder. So we got to kind of tip the scales to kind of help them prove their case. And I didn't want to go through that again. The fourth trial, I'm tired. I'm emotionally drained. I've been through so much. I lost a lot of my family members since I've been in jail. I'm ready to go home. Right, right, right. So I'm like, man, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just take it and, and go home. Because at the end of the day, in America, man, it don't matter if you're innocent or guilty. That's just a title. They already think you're guilty. You, you black in America, you're guilty, man. <laughs> you heard you a weapon. They look at blackness as a weapon, man. You heard? Where is one? Speak like this, they think you angry. Nah, we just passionate. We soulful people, so everything's oh. always taken out of context and character. So, I've been like with white colleagues or friends in the past, and they feel like we've heard black people talking and going on like we're going, and they get a little excited. Yeah. They're like, are they angry? Want to fight? It's like, no, you know, people are just enjoying each other. You know, yeah. people are passionate. So you for know, me, yeah. one thing I learned is being in jail. I don't really don't get caught up in labels and and just like how people perceive certain things. Everybody gonna always have an opinion about something, and their opinion don't really matter. You know, matter. it don't matter. So tell me this though, and we know that. And so on your road to recovery from being inside the penitentiary, um, what are the things you're doing now? And one of the things that I'm personally interested in is your relationships with the professors and what are you going to be doing with them? Um, So like, so the, the people I was writing in jail, like two of them I'm still in contact with. Two two other ones, like I was supposed to meet one of them. I have, you know, when you get out, you got so much calling for your attention. So it's like when you come from a controlled environment where the stimuli is very low and then you come out to a, a free environment that's uncontrolled, you're highly stimulated. So it took me a while to kind of get adjusted. I was overwhelmed when I first got out. So I had a lot of people, you know, wanting to help me and stuff like that. But they also had to understand I had to have time to adjust. And I'm in a whole new area. I'm not living in an area that I'm normally used to living. I don't live back the way I was where I grew up at. I'm not even like, you know, I might drive through if I got an appointment or something. Dog's appointment. I need to meet somebody. 
go see family for Thanksgiving or something. I might pull up, but I don't hang out there. Like, you know, you got to expose yourself to new places, new people and ideas in order to go somewhere. I'm not going backwards. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And then, you know, just being out like so. I'm I'm in a place where it's like when I first came home, I was in a hotel. I'm I'm, I'm on a highway. I don't know nobody, so I'm in a hotel. Like, damn, I feel like I'm in jail. I got I obviously I got a computer. I got the phone. I got the the, the YouTube, whatever. I could watch all that, but I did all that in prison. I don't want watching. I want to move around. But you know, God had me sitting still for a reason. So it was just like you know, just like I right, implement my plan. I I need to get my mass ID. I need to get my mass help. I need to do my driver's school because I never drove really in my life. So I did all that. I did everything I needed to do. I got my passport within my first month out. Right. I, I went and, you know, did like just taking care of my what I need to take care. Of. So I, like I told you, I had the vision board. So I had all my goals already written out, what I wanted to get accomplished within, you know, the first week, two weeks, month, 60 days. And I just started checking them off. Like I need to get my license. Were there people helping you do that? Get all these, um, all these things done? Or yeah, did you yeah, so, what to do? Yeah. So I had a social worker. I had a social worker. Um, she, 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 um, you know, started finding resources for me and stuff like that. I had money saved up or whatever. So I had money to, to, to pay for all of that. And um, for the most part, but I had to get rides. So then my mom knows somebody that she got her own nonprofit organization and she was giving me like lift gift cards and stuff so I could get rides to different places. And then I went to this organization that signed me up for school and stuff in Boston. It's in Charlestown. And I just started, you know, little by little, just attacking little things that I need to do. Like, I don't want to go to school. So let me enroll now. I want to go yeah. to college. So let me get that out the way. So I did that and wrote, got it out the way. And then I started, you know, somebody helped me with the Indeed app, started, you know, looking for jobs, okay. you know, created my LinkedIn profile. Then I had the professor, she created a website for me to start marketing myself with the speaking. And then she had, gave me a tour of her university that I went and spoke to her students. And it just started like that. And then it just like, you know, it's just like when you start networking, Mm-hmm. You start getting exposed to different people and people start reaching out to you, like, oh, we want you to come through. We want you to talk and just start building relationships and just maintaining them. Yeah, and you start branching for sure in a whole different direction, right? Definitely. It's almost like taking the plant out of its original pot and putting it in a different pot, you know, Definitely. and putting the pot in a different part of the room. You know, it's going to branch different. You know, it's going to still be that plant, but it's going to branch differently. You know, that's a beautiful story, man. And, yo, so we're coming up on the end of our time together. It's been wonderful listening to your story, brother. But before we go, I need you to talk a little bit about your books and about how people can contact you and get your books. Um, So there's two ways you can contact me. Um, The best way is just to go to my website, AntoineCarter.com, A-N-T-W-A-N-Carter.com. And then you can find everything that I'm doing, my books, my speaking. And, you know, my books is like I wrote two poetry books and then I wrote a, no- a novella called Sacred Lotus, which is the concept is about a young girl from Jerusalem. She has a dream inside her heart to unlock the secrets of the universe. And she ends up meeting an oracle who teaches her the secrets of the universe contained in a lotus flower. So I try to just break it down. It's like everybody got a dream in their heart. Right. We all got dreams. And so within the book, I try to encapsulate like when you have a dream, you're going to have people that come in your life that's there to support you and uplift you and get you to where you're trying to go. And then you're going to have people that's against you and trying to push you and stop you from getting it. So in that book, I talk about it. So if you just follow in your heart, you're going to get to where you need to go. And that's what she did in the book. And now she was enlightened and she had this disability. Now she's like, I got to go back home and uplift my people. Oh, dope, man. Dope. So now I'm on my fourth book, though, Diary of a Prison. I'm just talking about what went on in prison, you know, the mm-hmm. corruption, DOC, the tactics they use to, you know, manipulate staff and keep people under this umbrella to do what they want to do and push their agenda and, and keep people enslaved mentally and physically. 
So what kind of genre is this new book? Um, it's it's it's, it's um nonfiction. It's real life. Okay, okay, okay. Part of my experience in prison, you know, whether firsthand, yeah, spitting in my food and all that, get jumped by COs, like the corrupt stuff that they doing. They got policies that then they don't even go by. So and then yeah. stuff I seen while I was in jail. So I'm just you know this is this is this is this this book is basically uh, exposing of the Department of Corrections. And people are corrupt, and they're they in there right now committing crimes. Right now, they they beating somebody down, spitting in their food, doing something. You know, they, messing with their mail, opening their legal mail with not in their presence, all types of and those people do it. And and then also for you, I think you know, writing this can also be cathartic in in ways because you know, living in prison and going through those types of environments has an impact on you as an individual, you know, emotionally, psychologically, even though you may come out stronger, you know, there's still like an impact that it has on you. So, you know, you still have to recover from that shit. Yeah, I'm still recovering, man. It's just like learning how to adjust out here. Everything's different out here, man. You got to take your time and adjust and just like, ain't no way you go in an abnormal situation and come out unscathed. You're going to come out different in some type of way. Yeah. Some yeah. people worse than others. And some mm -hmm. people, you know, kind of be on their feet. And for the most part, if you want to be successful in life, when you get out, you got to put, it's not that hard, bro. You just got to be, you got to be, you got to be, you know, mentally strong and you got to be persistent because you're going to get a lot of no's. You're going to get a lot of doors closed in your face, but you're going to get to where you need to get to. If you if you believe in, and you keep doing what you need to do, there's going to be people and this organization that's going to help you get to where you need to get. But you just got to have thick skin. The same way you had it in there to survive, you need to have it out here. And everything's out here. There's opportunity out here, man. You know, you ain't going to get it being in prison. So most people, why they go back, because they realize it's hard out here and they don't want to work to get to where they want to get to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another thing you said, and you said people have to do what they need to do to get what they need to get. Yeah, your life, it ain't nobody else's life. If you don't care about your life, ain't nobody else going to care about it, bro. Ain't nobody going to hold your hand and say, oh, like, oh, the license. It's crazy. I know, like, dudes that I grew up with that's home, that been home 10 years. Nine years, whatever, 20 years, they ain't even got their license driving out of life. Like, bro, you've been out here all this time. You ain't got a passport. You ain't got your, like. Brothers ain't made plans. plans. Brothers ain't made plans. Brothers ain't seen outside of their block or whatever. They, you know, the impact of the penitentiary done stunted their growth and they done stayed stuck. Whatever it is, man. But brothers like you, brothers like me, and other brothers who will be listening to this podcast and sisters who will be listening to this podcast, They'll know and understand that they can grow beyond their wildest imagination, beyond what they can ever even imagine if they just, like you say, stay on their dean, go for their dream, and just do what they have to do. Equip themselves with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Develop a plan. Connect with the right-minded people and go for it. Don't be a doubter. Just go for it. That's what I'm hearing from you, and that's what I'm hearing that other people coming out of prison should be trying to do, too. It's, 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 it's gonna happen like you just gotta believe you know you put your faith and you know in yourself first and then in god and just you know things are gonna happen in your life it just you're gonna have no's bro <laughs> ain't no way things are just gonna be handed anything anything gets handed to you it's not appreciated you know yeah. you ain't gonna appreciate it. it's not you get what i'm saying so it's just like it's like lifting weights yo or doing calisthenics you know you gotta have that resistance to build resilience to build muscle to build endurance to build you know thickness mass you know so without that endurance without the resistance you won't build the know-how the knowledge definitely yo we're coming up on the end man i want to ask you one more time shout out your book tell people how they can reach you um again antoine carter.com 
You can find my books on Amazon, Sacred Lotus, Sacred, S-A-C-R-E-D, Lotus, like a lotus flower, um, Cartier Rose, one of my poetry books in the story of a thousand petals. Yo, with that, I'm going to call it a wrap. It's been a great time talking with you, brother Antoine. I appreciate your, your time, your knowledge, your wisdom, and your insights. Definitely. Yo, brother, before we go, can I find your bio on your website? Or Yeah. All right. Can I find a headshot of you on that website, too? Yeah, photo, yeah, definitely. Okay, so when I go there, I'll, I'll take some stuff from there and I'll craft it up and make just a quick flyer and make a quick, um, maybe just a little snippet of your bio um, and put it on the introduction. But before I broadcast anything, I'll email it to you so you know I can get you okay on it. Definitely. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. And yo, man, good luck coming home. Just remember, man, it's going to take time. Remember Bob Marley said, one, one, go, go, fill a basket. You know, you know, just one at a time. Yeah, man. Well, you got it, brother. I appreciate you, man. And yo, reach out to me. Yep. All right, brother. I'll be in touch. All right. Have a good day, bro. Thank you, brother. You too. Peace.